right, so our next topic is going to be one that we preach all the time, and it's very common in pretty much every animal community. Adopt, don't shop. You know, Josh, we say this so much, and I don't think people understand what is the meaning behind it, especially with pigs. So let's touch on, really, if you shop, what is the true cost of it? Well, and even the cost varies. So you have what we would call backyard breeders or people selling them at flea markets and telling people they're teacup pigs, of course, and selling them for maybe two or $300, some even less. Some advertising them on Craigslist as uh, food or pets. But then you have the designer pigs and people are paying up to $6,000 for this promised teacup pig who will not be a teacup pig unless they starve them. And that's something we didn't touch on either. Generally, if you're following this quarter cup twice a day, which so many of the breeders, that seems to be a popular amount that they recommend to people. If you're following that diet, and that pig is starved, it will stunt their growth. They will stay pretty small. They do not look like a normal pig. And they generally will die by the time they're three to five years old instead of living their full average 12 to 20 year life. But uh, the retail price, yeah, I mean, you're looking at anywhere from several hundred to several thousand dollars to purchase a pig. You may be charged for transport as well as um, any vet care that they give them if they do spay and neuter them beforehand or deworm them or deworm them anything like that if they do not spay and neuter them beforehand that is a must for pigs and there's multiple layers and reasons the obvious of course is breeding a male pig can impregnate a female pig as early as eight weeks old. A female pig can become pregnant as early as 12 weeks old. You know, this goes back into why you see these pigs who they're saying are full grown when really they're just babies having babies themselves. There's also the health consequences of not spaying and neutering. Females are very prone to uterine and ovarian tumors, and the males are prone to testicular cancers. So it's very important to spay and neuter them for their health and their behavior. And unneutered, I do not know how anyone can live with an unneutered pig. We, one pig we rescued, we had for just a week before the vet could see him. And that was the most insane, crazy week that I have ever experienced with a pig. He was an unneutered, probably about a year old male, and it was nonstop, no other way to put it, humping everything and anything that he could hump. Moody was... <laughs> and the stench. Oh, and the stench, yes. They emit an odor. So it was awful. It was, And I'm like, I, we get requests to take pigs sometimes, and they've had an unneutered pig for three, three years, four years. I don't know how they can even stand it for that long. So there's also that reason. And then females go into heat quite frequently, and it's about a week at a time when they do. It can be as 
as often as three weeks before they go into heat again. And they will be moody and nippy and they also hump. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's that reason for spaying and neutering too. Yeah. And I mean, neutering a pig generally is less costly, but you're looking on the low end, probably what, $160 to $100. And then there are some places we've seen charging $600 for neuters. Yeah. For females, for spaying, generally the lowest we found is around $250. Two, yeah, and some of them are $1,000 to $2,000 for the spays. It's a very complicated surgery. Recovery time is longer. You know, you're looking at that too. If you purchase a pig who is not spayed and neutered, that's another expense you would be looking at. So you're spending so much money, but there's another option. There is just an, an, it's a better option, and that is adoption. And I do want to talk a little bit about the adoption process because people don't realize there are tons and tons of sanctuaries across this country that rescue. And they actually have pigs that came from terrible situations or backyard breeders, or hoarding properties. They bring them into the fold. They socialize them. And the pig's life and behavior is so much better than the life and behavior of, of one that's coming out of a, a breeder. And some sanctuaries charge adoption fees. Uh, here at Cotton Branch, we don't te technically have an adoption fee per se, um, but we do make sure that whenever they go out from our property, they are cleared on the health front. And so we also we also make sure they get checked up by a vet and they get what they, we call is a CVI or a certificate of health. And that could cost somewhere between $40 up to $100. And that's really the biggest cost that you will see from Cotton Branch and maybe some others across the country, right, Josh? Correct. And some do charge an adoption fee that's closer to 300. I, I don't think I've ever seen more than 300. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, that's recouping the cost for them to spay and neuter this animal and, and get them the vet care they need. And right now, you know, with the ones we have who came out of uh, the situation in Kentucky, which was 550 pigs, and we have about 75 less left for adoption. You know, those, we just want them to find good homes. And that's why we are not charging an adoption fee per se with them. We had raised money to have them spayed, neutered, and vetted. And so now we just want to find them amazing homes. And the only cost is if they're going out of state is to get those CVIs, those health certificates for them to be able to travel. Yes, yes. And whenever you do get one um, from a reputable rescue, um, you get a socialized animal half the time, or like for us in our, our case, all the time, because we spend time with the animals. We make sure that they trust humans. And if you go from a breeder, they may not have that. They may just be in a stall for the much of their lives, maybe with their mother, maybe not. And you just don't know, but you do know with rescues, they spend that time to socialize this animal. And so the transition from sanctuary life to home life is a lot better. 
And that's one of the benefits. Also, Josh, let's talk about, you know, what you see is what you get with us too, right? With their size. Yes. You know, one thing that's great is when people come out to visit and meet their potential big companion, if they're smaller and younger, we're going to walk them around and we're going to show them the other pigs on our property. And this is an adult pig who is on the smaller end at 80 to 90 pounds. This is an adult pig who is on the larger end at, you know, 150 plus. We tell people what we've seen as far as the Kentucky pigs, the vast majority of them who we have who are already full grown are more like your, most of them are typically 90 to 110 pounds is what we're finding. There's only a few who are larger. Now, of course, there still is the possibility they will be a little larger, but on average, we're finding them to be a little smaller and we let people know that. And then of course, if you are adopting an adult pig, one benefit of that is you know their temperament, their behaviors, their true size, if they're full grown. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, benefits for adopting an adult pig too. And one of the big things about adopting is you can pull up these organizations and you can look and see how long they've been in existence. What's their track record? You can talk to others who have adopted as well from them. And you can easily determine who is a trusted organization to adopt from and who is not. And so that's a huge thing um, with adopting versus getting a pig from a breeder because you don't know what their accolades are. There's no registry. There's no body governing these breeders. There's nothing like that. But on the sanctuary side, you have accountability. You have board of directors. You have, you know, a lot of checks and balances in these orgs, right, Josh? Correct. If you were looking at, yes, a trusted organization, absolutely, they will have that uh, gourd in place and, uh, and checks and balances. And, you know, they will be adopting out pigs who are spayed and neutered and vetted. So the big question is, and people ask us all the time, and even, uh, you know, as Cotton Branch, we've tried to figure out the answer to this question, but I think we, we kind of came down to a good answer, is what can we do to stop the lies and the overpopulation of miniature pigs in this country? So that's the first thing that a, a lot of people need to realize too, is this has become really an epidemic of overbreeding. And a lot of it is the misunderstanding and people not realizing how young they can breed the numbers are out of control. Sanctuaries are overwhelmed. Dog and cat rescues are not taking these animals in. Some sanctuaries do not take them if they don't consider them to be farm animals. They consider them to be domesticated, yet domesticated rescues aren't taking them either. So a lot of them are falling through the cracks. A lot of them are ending up in animal control shelters. A lot of them are being euthanized. A lot of them are just being dumped on country roads. So, you know, the first thing that we can do is one adopting so we cut down that demand for people who are breeding them um, of course spaying and neutering is of utmost importance and i think a big one for us is we would love to see them reclassified 
go into kind of what that means. When they originally came over in the 80s, they're basically one of the only animals that came over from overseas as the Vietnamese pot-bellied pig who was not classified as an exotic animal when they came to this country. And I, I think it was probably a little bit of laziness in a department somewhere. USDA classified them as livestock because, oh, it's a pig, we'll classify them as livestock. So what that gave us is basically no regulations on their breeding, on breeding practices, on their care. And so, yes, basically anybody can get pigs, start breeding them and start selling them. And so to reclassify them as an exotic, if you think about that, you know, birds and, and even uh, tigers. tigers, yeah, I mean, you can't really buy a tiger, I think, uh, shouldn't be able to. But when you're looking at, you know, I always say when you're looking at like birds and when you're looking at some of the like lizards and snakes and things like that that are who are classified as exotics, there are regulations on those breeders. There are restrictions on those breeders. There are definitions of these animals, true characteristics, true sizes. There are limitations on the breeding and it creates accountability. Yeah, it does. And one thing I do want to mention with when we're talking about reclassifying them is, is right now we're in the wild, wild west. Yeah. No, nobody is actually looking at these breeding practices. No one, no one is, not even the USDA, not even even local organizations, nothing. There's maybe one or two organizations try, trying to vet these breeders, but there's hundreds, hundreds of breeders out there. And one nonprofit that's trying to do the work can't do it all. It has to be a government organization that has the manpower to regulate this quote unquote industry. And once we have policemen on the streets, once we have people who can go into these breeding operations and make sure that they adhere to some of these standards for, for exotic animals, you will see a much, um, what's the word? controlled environment and the lives of these animals while they're being bred, which we don't agree with, but the life will improve. The quality of life would improve for them. And not that many will be bred into existence because of the regulations, correct? That is correct. I mean, basically too, you're gonna cut out a lot of the backyard breeders because one of the other benefits of them being classified as exotics is people have to pay for this registry. So, you know, if they're not making the profit that they were making and they're having to pay and they're having to follow these regulations, it's gonna discourage this, this backyard breeder mentality because you're not gonna have those anymore. They're going to have to be a quote unquote reputable breeder. And it's the same thing we see with, you know, uh, legal authorities shutting down puppy mills and raiding puppy mills and, and ending that practice and the call to end that practice, the same thing would start happening with pigs. Yep. And it will cut down a lot on the overpopulation. The other thing is, is we're all over the place when it comes to laws about where 
pot-bellied pigs are allowed as companion animals. You know, we lived in Charlotte, a city now, I think the metro population is close to 4 million. They were considered domesticated pets there and you could have them just like your cat or dog, indoor, outdoor, in the city limits. You go literally five minutes away from where we live right now to a town that I don't even know if they have a population of like 1,200 people in that actual city limit, town limit. They're not allowed there, they're considered livestock. So laws are all over the place with these cities. And uh, years ago, there was a group trying to have them classified as exotics and a lot of people who had pig companions panicked because they thought, oh no, if they're an exotic, I won't be able to keep them. The simple fact is exotic animals are allowed in more cities and towns than livestock. Animals who are considered livestock are allowed in cities and towns. So in reality, it would actually open the doors more for other people to be able to adopt pigs yeah. and keep pigs as their animal companions. So, you know, it serves so many good purposes because yes, it will open the door for more people to be able to adopt and it will protect the pigs. So everyone, we hope you enjoyed this discussion about teacup pigs and uh, miniature pigs and adoption and all the topics that we covered. We really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we have another podcast that we are working on currently that um, touches on a lot of other things with pigs, and we cannot wait to release that next week. So from all of us at Cotton Branch, uh, we love you guys. Um, subscribe to this podcast wherever you are, whether that be Google or Apple, and uh, we thank you guys for joining us. Thank you so much, everyone.